And now would you, while you remain standing, turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Read verses 1 through 12. If you are visiting with us, I should know that just uh, about a month ago, a little longer than that, we began looking at uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, beginning, of course, with Mark 1. So now, uh, as a series of sermons, so now we begin uh, the second chapter of Mark, uh, looking at the first 12 verses. And here we are, uh, here is recorded for us, a very well-known incident of, uh, in the ministry of Jesus. So let's uh, quiet our hearts to hear God's word. Mark 2, 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no, no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed in which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So far, let's uh, ask God's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us now. We pray, Lord, that your word would be faithfully preached this morning from this pulpit, that we each may have ears to hear, and that in hearing, you would change us. For Jesus' sake, amen. You may be seated. Mark, at the very beginning of his gospel, tells us that this is uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And so Mark there is uh, telling us that what he is now about to record for us is about Jesus, who is the Son of God and who came to save Sinners, And when we come to chapter 2 in Mark chapter 2, uh, this is what we've just read, the first of a series of, of five events that Mark records for us that have a common theme of conflict. 
of controversy. And of course, if you're familiar with uh, the life of Jesus, particularly the ministry of Jesus, the three-year ministry of Jesus, there was increasing conflict between Jesus and the other spiritual leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And we see that in our passage today. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. But one of the important things, I think, for us, even as just at the beginning now of this sermon, of this message, it's important for us to recognize that while Mark chapter 2 records for us this sort of beginning of a conflict in the ministry of Jesus, it's good to see that this conflict didn't start here in this house in Capernaum. It started already in Genesis chapter 3 when God said, I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. That's where the conflict began and, and continues uh, throughout uh, history. That's the controversy. And what the controversies that we are seeing today in these first 12 verses and we'll see uh, as we continue on are but kind of local eruptions of a far more elemental controversy. And we, of course, have this today. That controversy continues. Jesus said, if they hated me, they will hate you. Uh, The servant is not greater than his master. And if the master is hated and if the master is turned out, uh, we can expect that those who are his servants will be hated. And so there is controversy in the church too. The church, the Christian church has opposition. That should not surprise us. The truth will always be attacked by lies. The light will always be attacked by darkness. We are the church militant while we are on this earth. That means that we are embattled and there is conflict, there is controversy and there will be that until Christ returns and we will no longer be the church militant, we will be the church triumphant at that point, the church victorious at that point. But now we are living in a day of conflict and we see that all around us. Satan hates Christ, Satan hates the church. And the powers of evil fight against the church. But one day that this controversy will finally be resolved. And that resolution is because and through Jesus Christ. And so Mark is revealing to us Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who came. In Isaiah chapter 35, we read this promised uh, victor, Uh, Say to those who have an anxious heart, what a great way to begin a a portion of Scripture. Say to those who have an anxious heart, do you have an anxious heart? (laughs) 
and to some degree we all do, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. What Isaiah is saying is, your God is going to come to you, and he's going to bring victory and salvation for you. Don't be anxious. That's what Isaiah is saying in Isaiah chapter 35. And what Mark is doing is saying, and now he's come. Now he's come. We are living in the day, Mark is saying to his readers. We are living in the day where the Son of Man has come. God himself has come to be our Redeemer. And we now are looking back. Isaiah had to look forward. Mark was at the point where it happened. And now we are looking back. Our God has come. Christ has come. And that is Mark's point. So in our passage today, we have uh, this, uh, again, uh, well-known miracle uh, of Jesus who made a paralytic walk again. Uh, Children, if you're not familiar with the term paralytic, it means uh, somebody who is paralyzed. They're particularly this man, he, he couldn't use his legs. There was something wrong with the, the nerves and, uh, you know, uh, so that he was not able, couldn't feel his legs, couldn't move his legs, he couldn't walk. He had to be carried around wherever he went uh, by friends uh, because he couldn't move his legs. And uh, so you have this, one day Jesus is in Capernaum, he's preaching, the house is full, And these friends, four friends, bring this paralytic before Jesus. They made a hole in the roof. Now, their roofs were not like ours, uh, our home's roofs today. Uh, They were easily repairable. uh, Whereas ours, if somebody did that, we would say, this guy's crazy. Uh, But in in that day, that was not the case. And so they were able to uh, lower this man through the roof and brought him before Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He saw their faith. He, said, he recognized that uh, these four men and the paralytic were so intent to come to Jesus for healing that, that they were, they, you know, they went to these extreme measures to make it happen. Jesus saw their faith. And what does he say? Get up and walk. No. That's not what he says. He said, your sins are forgiven you. <laughs> that's, that's what he said. There's two healings here. Understand this. This is very important. The first healing is this. Your sins are forgiven. Now, we don't know what was in the mind of these four friends or the paralytic 
My guess is that wasn't it. My guess is that they were probably a bit disappointed with these words. We brought him here to, to, so that he could walk again. We went through all this trouble so that this paralytic could get up and, and walk out this door. That's what we were hoping for. We were hoping for physical healing. He wanted his legs to be healed. And it might very well, upon hearing these words, it might have been a great disappointment for him. You see, he came to Jesus in great need. He couldn't walk. He needed new legs. But Jesus saw a greater need. Jesus saw the greater need in this man and says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw not just that there was some problems with the nerves and whatever else uh, it, it causes somebody to be paralyzed, though Jesus saw that. But what Jesus saw that nobody else could see was that there was a great black hole in the center, that there was a need far more urgent far more demanding, far more pressing than the legs. Your sins are forgiven. What are your needs when you think about your life? Think about things that you need. And you might be bowed down and pressed and have very urgent needs. But whatever that need is, or those needs are, I want to say to you that your most pressing need, your most urgent need is to be right with God. You might need finances, you might need a job, you might need, you know, healing. But your most pressing need is to be right with God. In the creed that we just said, spoke a little while ago, the Apostles' Creed, we said, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Do you? Do you believe this in the depths of your heart, in the depths of your being? Do you recognize and understand that you could have every other need met and still be lost for eternity? You know, I know every Sunday morning when we gather for worship, we have a time of, of reading a, a portion of, of the law in God's word and a time of confession and assurance. I hope that time isn't just ho-hum for you. It isn't just, oh, here we go again. We're going through this. I, even though I know it can, can be that way and, and, you know, we have to work hard to be engaged and to understand what's happening. But as I, I said a moment ago, that is one of the most wonderful parts of our worship service where we are confronted anew with our own 
sinfulness, and we come to, to the Father through Jesus Christ, confessing our sins, and then hearing that in Christ Jesus there is forgiveness, there is cleansing of sin. Brothers and sisters, that is the best news possible. That's our greatest need, is to be cleansed, the forgiveness of sins. Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if all of his other needs are met? He has money to spare. He has a job making a wonderful income. He has wife and children. He has a nice home. He ha- if all of his needs are met, what does it profit him if he forfeits his soul? What good does it do? Enters eternity unforgiven. <laughs> do you see how important that is? And that's where Jesus goes first. Before he deals with the legs, he deals with the greater problem, the heart. Young people, do you believe this? You know, as you think about your future, you might be concerned about your school or your grades or what degree you're, you're going to get, or, you know, future jobs, or a spouse, or, you know, whatever is in the future. All of that is before you, and you, and, and you can become anxious about all of these things. And all of them are important. But towering above all of that is the issue, are you right with God? Have your sins been forgiven? Jesus came to forgive sins. You know, there are uh, three evidences, I think, of, of those who have had their sins forgiven and who, who recognize that and who are resting in Jesus Christ. One of them is love for Jesus. One of the evidences, if your sins are forgiven, is that you love Jesus. In Luke chapter 7, Luke tells us the story about uh, Jesus is at the house of Simon, the Pharisee, and a woman of ill repute comes, and uh, she uh, anoints, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears, and Simon is looking at that and, and saying to himself, you know, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he would never let her be touching him and defiling him. And then Jesus, knowing what Simon was thinking, says, Simon, who will love more? One who is forgiven much or one who is forgiven little? And Simon answered, I suppose one who loves much, one who has been forgiven much. And Jesus said, you've said right. This woman hasn't stopped showing her love to me because she has been forgiven much. This woman has forgiven much, and so she loves much. One of the marks of those who have been forgiven 
is that we love. And that we, we, if we've been forgiven by Christ, we love Christ. That's one of the, the sure marks. And we shouldn't be, you know, make excuses about that, saying, you know, well, my temperament isn't such that, you know, I, I don't get excited about those things. Or, you know, my nationality, you know, we just don't get excited about those things. Uh, Italians, they can get excited about things, but, you know, I'm Dutch. Uh, you know, we, we're just kind of even keel. <laughs> uh, the fact is, if I've been forgiven much, I'm going to love much. And one of the sure evidences, if you understand that you've been forgiven much, you will love much. You will love Christ much. Another sure uh, evidence of one who is forgiven is obedience to Jesus Christ. If you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. You know, our relationship to Jesus is a, a submissive relationship. We are under him. He is our Lord. And, and, and the desire of our hearts are and should be, Lord, how might I please you who have given your all for me? How might I please you? You gave your all for me, for my forgiveness, for my cleansing. So love for Jesus, obedience to Jesus. And then the third, I think, biblical uh, evidence of one who's been forgiven is they have a forgiving spirit. They have a forgiving spirit. It was Jesus who said, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. The sure evidence of one who is forgiven is that they're able to forgive, and they do forgive. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what so-and-so did to me. No, could very well be I don't. But of this I am sure, your sin against a holy, righteous God is far worse than any sin that another sinner could do to you, a sinner. And that holy, righteous God has forgiven you. Forgiven you and me. How can I not forgive others? And this is a point Jesus makes in a number of cases. Uh, he told a parable about the unforgiving servant. Thomas Watson a Puritan preacher said this, it's as easy for one to go to hell for not forgiving as for not believing. <laughs> wow. There's a statement. The point, though, is not that we are saved by our works, not that we're saved by our forgiving, by what we do. The point is that the sure evidence of your forgiveness is that you will have a forgiving spirit. That's the point. That's not easy. But again, when we recognize, when we recognize our own sin, 
and how that has been such an offense against a holy, righteous God in whom there is no sin, in whom there is no darkness. And we have brought that sin and darkness in rebellion. And he has forgiven you. He has forgiven me. You see, when we grasp that, then we can forgive what our neighbor has done, what our, what our husband has done, or what our wife has done, or what our coworker has said or done, and we can forgive. So Jesus goes to the heart first, and he brings this first healing. But there is the second healing, isn't there? The one that we're very familiar with, uh, where uh, uh, Jesus heals his body. After saying, your sins are forgiven, the religious leaders uh, were indignant. Only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is? He's blaspheming. Now, of course, they were correct in the one, in the one point, only God can forgive sins. <laughs> they were correct there. What they didn't grasp and couldn't seem to grasp is that Jesus is God incarnate. Only God can forgive sins. In Exodus chapter 34, God uh, places Moses in the cleft, and he passed Moses by and proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty. What God there was pronouncing to Moses is that he is the one who can forgive sins. And so of this, the, 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 the scribes, the Pharisees here, the, the religious leaders were right. Only God can forgive sins. But they could not and did not recognize that Jesus was God. That was God. They couldn't conceive that God would humble himself and become man. That they, could, they, that, that, this is, they couldn't grasp that. They couldn't recognize that. You see, they had a problem with grace. They had a problem with that. They had a problem with grace. To them, God was distant, transcendent, but not near, but not close. I think this is why John begins his gospel that the Word became flesh and, and dwelt among us. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That's what these spiritual leaders couldn't fathom. They couldn't get their, their minds wrapped around the fact that God has become one of us. And so Jesus responds because he knew what they were thinking because he's God. <laughs> and he says, well, why are you thinking this? He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? Now, this is a kind of a difficult thing. Where is, what is Jesus going here? But I think his, his, his point is, 
It's easy to say your sins are forgiven because there's really no way that you can test that, right? Uh, any one of us could say your sins are forgiven. Those are just four words, and, and we can all, you know, use the, the, our tongues and our mouth to say those words. That's very easy, and there's no way that anybody could test whether that has actually been accomplished. <coughs> But to say, get up and walk, and then having the one get up and walk, that's a, that's a whole different thing. See, it's a very easy to say anything. You know, like politicians. <laughs> They'll say anything. It's very easy to let words go from your lips. But then Jesus said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. So Jesus goes going right to the point of the issue, right to the heart of the issue. So that you may know. Get up, take up your pallet, and go home. You see, the physical healing was meant to confirm the spiritual healing. Do you understand that? Jesus said, Jesus isn't saying, so that you may know I have power to heal bodies. That's not what you, that you may know I have the power to forgive sins. I say, get up and walk. The, the, the physical healing was meant to confirm the spiritual. This is why uh, the, the apostles were also given the ability to perform miracles of healing in order to confirm the truth of the gospel, that there is spiritual healing in Christ Jesus. And Jesus even he drives home the point when he says that you may know the Son of Man I don't know if you've ever studied that. That was, by the way, uh, Jesus' favorite self-designation. He used that more often than anything else, the Son of Man. And we might think, and here I would say we think wrongly, that's referring to his human nature, Son of Man. We might, we would think that kind of naturally. But the fact is that actually, biblically, particularly from the book of Daniel, it's not referring to human nature. It is referring to God who had come in the flesh. In Daniel chapter 7, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to, to the ancient of days and was present before him. So the son of man is in heaven before the ancient of days, before God in heaven. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall never be destroyed. Jesus wanted these spiritual leaders to know that what Daniel was prophesying about one who, has, who stands before the throne of the ancient of days is Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of Man. 
He is God come in the flesh. Well, everyone was amazed at this healing. Jesus said, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. As I had mentioned to you before, sadly, the Capernaum people, the, 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 the citizens of this city of Capernaum, did not turn to Jesus Christ as the cleanser, the forgiver of their sins. They were wowed by his ability to heal, but they never rested in his ability to save. They didn't understand the real healing. That Jesus came to lay down his life in order to forgive our sins. That's why Jesus came. The healings of sight and of hearing and of legs are simply given to confirm who he is. But the reason he came was to forgive sins. And it cost Jesus far more than you and I will ever know. When God laid on him the iniquity of us all, we can't fathom that. But do you believe it? You see, that's really the point this morning. Do you believe that? Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins? Do you believe that Christ has uh, dealt with your greatest need and provided for your greatest need? Have you fled to Jesus for the forgiveness of sins? It's no small matter. And as a church, we're not going to minimize it. That is the issue of your life. Have you fled to Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? That's it. That's the issue. That's the need that towers over every other. And if you've done that, has it changed you? Do you love Jesus and obey him, desire to obey him? Are you, do you have a forgiving spirit? There's something, I know I've said this before, uh, you know, in the, in the song, It Is Well uh, With My Soul. The third stanza, at least the third stanza that's in our hymnal, says this, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Right there, you, you get a sense that the hymn writer got it. <laughs> my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. 
I, I just want to ask you, do you know that joy? Do you know that bliss of that glorious thought? Your sins are forgiven. This is why Christ came. And this, brothers and sisters, is why we celebrate communion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray that we would know more fully, more deeply, the wonder of having our sins forgiven. Oh, Lord, impress that upon us and give us thankful hearts and hearts filled with love. And may that be evident now as we come to your table to receive the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.